Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Last season, Rafael Devers and Shane Bieber were the top breakouts in fantasy baseball and both had an ADP outside the top 130. Who are this year's breakouts? We're about to find out. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a hump day, July 15th. Frank Stanfield alongside Scott White and Adam Azer. What's going on, fellas? How you guys doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. He's good. He's breaking out. He's breaking yeah. out. Let's let's dispense with the pleasantries, okay? We never we never handle this part well. We're right. good. I'm we good. We can do You're better. Good. He's good. We can do better. No, no, we can do better, Scott. Why don't we pick up our game, Scott? Frank- this is this is not something I excel at in just like you know day to day interactions with normal people. So how how am I going to excel at this in like a broadcasting to the world sense? I don't think it's I don't think it's a reasonable expectation, frankly. All right, Scott, we're going to get to the breakouts. You cannot be doing any better because your Braves signed Yasiel Puig. After the fact, yesterday, uh, Chris and I hopped back into the studio, the home studio, that is, and we gave a little update on Yasiel Puig to the Braves, but uh, you and Adam did not have a chance to opine. So what are your feelings with Yasiel Puig landing with the Braves? Um, it's, I'm, it it seems like he landed in a spot where he's going to get to play every day as the left fielder, I guess maybe right fielder with the Cunha playing him left. That's still to be sorted out. And the player who obviously loses in this scenario is Adam Duvall, which, you know, Adam Duvall is kind of an underrated player, I think, but he is not somebody that fantasy baseballers were really looking at yet. He had only recently come into playing time with the addition of the DH with Nick Markakis opting out. Um, so, you know, Adam Duvall goes back to the bench. Puig is in the lineup, batting in the middle of a very good lineup. Uh, Austin Riley, I know there's some concern there. As as long as Freddie Freeman is still sidelined by COVID-19, Austin Riley is supposed to be the Braves' first baseman. When Freeman comes back, I assume Riley's back to competing with Camargo, Johan Camargo for third base. And, uh, you know, by that point, assuming Freeman misses part of the regular season, we should have a pretty good idea whether Riley is is somebody who deserves to be playing every day or not. And if he's shown he is, then obviously 
Camargo's going back to the bench. If he's shown he's not, then I guess we're moving on from Riley for this year, uh, at least until somebody else goes on the IL. So, yeah, that's, that's, I think, how things stand for the Braves. Puig, as a power speed threat, a pretty stable power speed threat, too. I mean, his production's been fairly consistent over the years. Um, he's barely inside my top 40 in Roto. I have him just a little ahead of, like, Scott Kingery. Um, and, you know, that's, that's nice. It's nice to have another potential speed source at that middle to late stage of the draft. And, uh, and so it's good. It's good that Puig has, has a job again, has a job and is with a team that, that wants to play him and has a place to play him. Yasiel Puig was a top 30 outfielder in both formats last season. He was better in Roto. He was the outfielder 25 in that format and a top 70 player, three straight seasons with at least 23 home runs and 15 or more steals. And he's been quite consistent with the batting average. Not that he's been great, but between a 263 and 267 batting average each of the past four seasons. You mentioned where you moved him up to in your ranking, Scott. I moved him up to outfielder 33 in Roto, which might be a little aggressive. It's just behind Michael Conforto and Kyle Schwarber. And I moved him up to outfielder 38 in my head-to-head ranks. Adam, what do you think about that in terms of uh, where we have Pui kind of situated inside the top 40 outfielders? Does that make sense to you? I think you're too high on him, Frank, because, yeah, if it were a normal offseason, uh, that'd be one thing. But you're talking about a guy who is signing a week before the season starts. I know everybody's kind of not exactly facing live competition right now. They're just facing their teammates. So maybe that helps them. But I don't know. It just seems like uh, tough circumstances to join a team this late in the game. I also wonder, I'll ask this from a positional standpoint, right? Ender and Ciarte will play center field for the Braves. Right? Yeah. Yep. So Adam yep. Duvall probably needs to play against lefties. He's not going to play against righties, but he's so good against lefties that I feel like he still should play against lefties. So mm-hmm. what happens there? Does Enciarte sit and Acuna plays center or does potentially Puig sit just to get Duvall's lineup bat in the lineup? I, I think, uh, I think Enciarte would be more likely to sit Acuna basically sp- split his time, you know, made several starts in center for the Braves last year. It kind of depends on how Enciarte performs, right? I mean, Enciarte hasn't been much with the bat the past couple seasons, but uh, he was the few seasons before that. So if he's if he's basically just a big glove out there in center field, then yeah, I imagine he'll be sitting against, against uh, left-handers and Duvall would still be playing then. I don't think Puig would be coming out of the lineup. He's, he's capable a capable hitter against both lefties and righties. Yeah, he's always going to be brought down by his batting average. You mentioned it, Frank. He's always going to hit around 265. It's not terrible, but it's just not that good. And then, you know, is he a 30 homer guy? He he hasn't really been. He's, he's never been. Yeah, yeah. So he maybe he is in this environment, but 50 ish players hit 30 home runs last year. So I think if if Yasiel Puig does not steal bases, and he's 29, and those things can go. I don't know. If he doesn't steal bases, I think he's going to be kind of borderline junk. So there are limits to his upside at this point. Yeah. Like for him to be one spot behind Conforto. I mean, I view Conforto completely differently than Puig. Um, Schwarber makes more sense. He just needs to steal. If he steals, he's going to hit that because if, because he's, he gives you 15 to 19 steals or something like that per 162 games or whatever. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, probably more like 20 steals per 162 games for him. Um, Then he's going to be great. But, if he doesn't steal, then there's downside there. And he, he's not going to be, 
not going to do that much with his bat, I don't think. Yeah, I would say a, a 25 homer, 15 steal pace is, is fair for Yasiel Puig. I mean, it's pretty much where he's been at the past couple of seasons. He's never really lived up to expectations, but he's been solid. He's been serviceable. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit too aggressive on him. I grabbed him last night in our head-to-head categories mock. Uh, 167th overall. That was just after J.D. Davis, Mark Canna, Kyle Tucker. So I think that was a, a great range to wind up with Yasiel Puig. Uh, Scott, I do have to ask you, I've seen some speculation that this Puig signing could be a reaction to Freddie Freeman missing maybe not just the start of the season. I mean, we could be talking about a few weeks now. What would you say to that? Last night, he fell to the third round in that same mock draft, pick 32. So he is starting to move down the board. Again, that's Freddie Freeman. I don't... I I mean, that's reading a lot into things, I think, because the Braves haven't just lost Freeman. They, you know, they had a DH opening to fill, and then they lost Nick Markakis. And, you know, just the idea of losing Freeman when they did and not being able to count on him at the start of the season, I think, kind of uh, opened their eyes to how quickly their depth could be depleted. So I don't know that I read as much into it as they know Freeman is going to miss X amount of time. I don't think they have any idea how much time Freeman is going to miss. I don't think anybody does. Uh, it's possible he could miss the first several weeks of the season. I think it's still possible he could be ready for opening day, though that's looking less and less likely with each passing day, of course. Uh, I think where he fell in last night's draft, the middle of round three, I mean, look, we were both in that draft. We didn't take him before then. I probably would have taken him if he last two more picks to me in round three. I probably would have. So I think that's I think that's appropriate. Um, but, you know, things could turn around quickly. Charlie Blackman, his value is completely restored in last night's draft now that he's back with the Rockies and, and looking likely for opening day. So that's that's just the way this is going to be. It's going to it, it's going to be a mysterious timetable and as short as the season is, you have to be cautious with it, but it can change on a dime. Okay, so unless I saw a false report, I saw that Charlie Blackman was placed on the IL today. He may have been. So I don't know, which is surprising because he came back and he was in camp and I saw a video of him swinging the bat and he seemed fine. Mm-hmm. And then today he was placed on the IL. I mean, I know DeShields came back and Delano DeShields of the of, of the Indians came back and was placed on the IL. Uh, I am not seeing an update of Blackman on the IL. And I think the COVID IL, they call it a 10-day IL, but you don't actually have to be on it 10 days, right? You can come off it at any point. Like maybe it's it works? retroactive to him missing time. So maybe it just kind of gives them the ability to maneuver their roster around. Let me see if I can find, because I don't see it there. Okay, I see it here. Always just go to Twitter. Twitter knows everything, right? Yeah, I see multiple outlets on Twitter uh, regarding Charlie Blackman going back on the IL. So that was going to be part of our news items, which I I was going to get into right now. But, you know, look, if Charlie Blackman is on the IL and is not expected to be ready for the start of the season, then I, I think that that just entrenches someone like Sam Hilliard in the lineup, someone who we're pretty excited about David Dahl as well, obviously. Um, and dare I say Matt Kemp? I read an article on the athletic last night where the, they were talking to Matt Kemp now with the Rockies. So would not surprise me based on the way that the Rockies have trended the past couple of seasons. Yeah. I couldn't care less what park he's playing at with Matt Kemp. I, this is really weird and, and needs to be sort of investigated. I guess we'll know more on tomorrow's show about Charlie Blackman. But it is weird that he that they did put him on the IL. 
Yeah. I'm hoping it's I'm hoping it's a roster management sort of thing. Yeah, we'll pay close attention to it and see what happens. Matt Kemp, only one year removed from an 818 OPS with the Dodgers, so I'll just throw the name out there for deeper leagues. Jacob DeGrom was the big news last night that came out. He left with back tightness, and it was just announced that he's going for an MRI today. He has dealt with back issues in the past. Most recently, he missed opening day in 2018. What happened that season? Well, he just went on to win the Cy Young. So I don't know that we should overreact too much yet, but... For the entire offseason, Scott, I was team DeGrom over Garrett Cole and Roto. This is enough for me to just make that switch. So, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. Uh, it's another situation where we're going to know a lot more very soon. And uh, I could say that more definitively, but it does. But, you know, if there's any lingering health issue heading into the season... Uh, and, and two players are that close. I think it makes sense to flip them around, sure. An MRI was taken uh, last night on Anthony Rizzo's back, and it revealed that he has rib head inflammation. It's not clear whether he'll be ready to go for opening day, which is next Friday for the Cubs against the Milwaukee Brewers. So, Anthony Rizzo, you're not moving him down yet either, Scott. Uh, I haven't yet. Um I'm going to make a lot of changes on Friday, probably heading into the big draft weekend and kind of get a feel for how things look then because yeah, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all very unclear right now. Rizzo is one of the most boring players in fantasy. So if you just don't want to draft him, which is where I come, which is where I come down on it, this is more reason not to, um, he's definitely somewhat exciting in points leagues, but in a roto league, He's just boring. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I do not you're have basic. any reason. I just, yeah, he is your basic, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like, he's not going to win you your league. So, I don't know. Just, you can avoid him if you want. He's like Jose Abreu, except more boring at a higher cost. So, why would you draft Anthony Rizzo when you can have Jose Abreu? Uh, Walker Bueller is behind the other Dodgers pitchers. He is slated to throw two innings in his next appearance. Uh, he's one starting pitcher who... I don't think we'll be ready to throw five or six innings, you know, around opening day heading into the first week of the season. And you you hear Garrett Cole going deep into these intra-squad starts and some other starting pitchers. Walker Bueller is not one of those, Scott. And I I think now we have a better idea why there's not any talk of Alex Wood or Ross Stripling even in a piggyback role to start the year because probably Walker Bueller is going to have to be. And it sounds like Julio Arias won't be fully stretched out either, but Bueller seems the furthest behind of any Dodgers pitcher. Uh, apparently he wasn't with, with the, with the uh, uh, blessing of pitching coach Mark Pryor. Bueller wasn't doing much throwing during the, the shutdown. He was taking that time off. So he is actually having to ramp up from the start. Like we thought, most pitchers would have to. It turns out most pitchers don't, but Bueller is. So, yeah, I mean, any thought of taking him ahead of Scherzer or Verlander, I, I think it, I, I, I don't think that makes sense. I don't think that makes sense. His first couple turns through the rotation, at least, will be short and maybe more. And, you know, if you get into three or four starts, you're talking about a quarter of the season where Bueller's not going to be pitching a usual starter's workload. So that's... That's stock down for him. 
Scott with a few jabs there. He knows I have Walker Bueller as my third starting pitcher in Roto, just ahead of Verlander. <laughs> well, do you and still? Are you going to move him down? No, nah, I probably should move him down now as a result of this. Uh, I didn't yeah, know that this was him, happening. Move him behind the guy who's already had two injuries this year, who's like 15 <laughs> years older than him and who's changing his mechanics. Hey, he threw, he threw like six innings yesterday, Verlander did. All right, so what, five and a third still, or something. He's still been hurt twice this season before the no. season's even started. Not hurt right now. Adam, how do you rank he those three? Bueller. Bueller, Verlander, Scherzer. Scherzer, Verlander, Bueller. <laughs> but <laughs> you I, it's so you of, made it's, the it's case. Like, it's a little disingenuous because I guess I would rank it that way, but I would skip Verlander. I don't know. Does this make sense? I don't want Verlander. I would rather just take Bueller, but I feel like the responsible thing is to put Verlander ahead of him, but I have yeah. my own personal fears that I'm not sure everyone else should have. I don't want to project <laughs> my insecurity on everyone else. Yeah. Um, but Personally, Verlander's another guy that I don't anticipate having on my team. It's not so scary when I say that about Anthony Rizzo. It's very scary when I say about Justin Verlander. But I, I, I'd rather ha- I'd probably going to skip him and take Bueller or Flaherty, I guess, and just avoid the concern. No, I get what you're saying, though, Adam, because, I mean, that's partially why I have Bueller ranked ahead of them. I just, I worry about the age. I mean, the injuries with Scherzer, too. I mean, he missed, he missed a World Series start uh, because of a uh, neck issue. He's dealt with some back stuff, so I worry about those two guys. Last news item, Aaron Judge was supposed to return on Tuesday. He didn't. That is so surprising. I just, I've washed my hands. I'm not drafting Judge. I'm not drafting Stanton. I took I took Judge I I can't remember ninety second overall in a draft last or two weeks ago. Would you have taken him there? He's not going to play, Adam. Of course he's going to play. He's a stiff neck. He slept the wrong way. Oh yeah, he slept the wrong way for three days straight, and that's why he's not. (laughs) I just I can't trust these guys. I can't trust. Look, everyone has a breaking point. Yes, if he falls that far, I will take him. But uh, fifth, sixth, fourth, anywhere in that range, not taking him. Favorite breakouts, Scott. Get us started. 2020, who is one of your favorite breakouts for this season? I mean, number one, I don't have to say him, right? You can say him for me. I don't, I don't know if it's Mark Hanna or J.D. Davis at this point. Well, Mark Hanna was a sleeper. All right, we covered him yesterday, or actually we didn't cover him yesterday because I've covered him enough. But <laughs> J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis is my favorite breakout. My favorite player to draft, period, this year. And... I shouldn't have to say much to explain it. I'm, I'm frankly a little stunned. He still goes as late as he does. He hit 307 with an 895 OPS and 410 at bats last year. Obviously, wasn't playing every day. Uh, got a stretch to play every day in August. Hit 295 with eight home runs and a 951 OPS. He was just as good, if not better. His splits, righties versus lefties, they're basically dead even and now with uh, the dh spot opening up there's no doubt he's going to be playing every day for the mets probably probably swapping off with Johannes cespedes between left field and dh maybe playing third base some days when robinson cano gets a day off they slide mcneil over to second base davis is going to be a big part of the mets lineup this year and uh as good as his 307 batting average and 895 ops were last year his expected stats were even better. So, you know, round 13, 14, J.D. Davis, automatic for me, You know, regardless let, of format. Let's have the UNSS, but his conversation. I tweeted about this earlier, and I, we haven't talked about him enough 
he's moving up the board in, in NFBC. You know, in 39 drafts in July, his ADP is 279. He's the 75th outfielder off the board. But, Scott, I keep seeing video of Cespedes is swinging. He looks spry. I see him in the field. He looks healthy. Everything I've read. The one drawback for J.D. Davis is, yes, the universal DH should help him, but I could still... F- I can just imagine the Mets still finding a way to mess this up, Scott. That is my one trepidation with J.D. Davis. Well, how could they mess it up? What would, what would, what would they do to mess it up? What would that look like? They have Dominic Smith that maybe they could give it bats to. But like the problem for J.D. Davis is he doesn't really handle any spot defensively very well. He's a liability everywhere on the field. Dominic Smith is a first baseman trying to play left field. Um, so it's not like he's an upgrade there. Cespedes might be an upgrade in left field if his legs are really feeling that good, but then they just move J.D. Davis to DH. You know, like oh, Well, I think the issue is if, neither, if Cespedes can't really play the field, then he's going to DH over J.D. Davis. Yeah, but they'd still need somebody to play left field. I mean, I guess they could put Jake Marisnik out there. Yeah, they could is put that, Jake Is that the concern? No, Jake Marisnik? The concern for me is that J.D. Davis had pretty much no career didn't do anything before last year. Well, he was with the Astros, who had no spot to play him. His minor league numbers were good. Yeah, they were good. Um, very three fifty five Babbitt, obviously pretty high, pretty high ish, not super high home run to fly ball rate. So probably some regression. And I just like there was like no buzz about him. I don't think I, I don't know. I feel like I never see other than Scott. <laughs> you know, like I don't think the the newspapers really hype him up. I don't know. Uh, for all the, you know, Mets hype, I just JD Davis doesn't really seem to get much of it. But I, I trust Scott. He's been right about these types of players a lot. I wouldn't make him like my favorite player to draft, but I'll draft some JD Davis. Yeah, look, I had yeah. him last year and he did great for me, and I was so annoyed that they didn't play him every day. So that was the thing. Like he was hitting yeah. that well last year, and they didn't play him every yeah. day. Right. They could try to find reasons, you know, not to. But the DH helps. But if Cespedes mm-hmm. can't play the field. Like, who would you rather have, Cespedes or J.D. Davis? Oh, I would rather have J.D. Davis. I agree with that. But are we getting to the point now where we should start to consider Cespedes more in drafts, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, how, how much more... He's a 34-year-old who hasn't played since the middle of 2018 and has had three leg surgeries since then. So, you know, it's, it's encouraging... Is obviously worth drafting again. I took him in the reserve drown rounds of our recent twelve team roto auction. So that's that's a five outfielder league, and I got him in the reserve rounds. Um, you know, I, I probably I, I was thrilled to get him then. I probably wouldn't throw more than a dollar two or two at him, even in a five outfielder league, because it's just it's still hard to say how he's going to hold up. And uh, you know, we haven't seen him in real competition yet, and he's quite a bit older than when we last saw him. But yes, the reports are encouraging, and I think given his track record, he's certainly somebody worth considering late in drafts again. All right, Adam. I heard a rumor that you have so many breakouts. Why don't, why don't you spill the beans? Why don't you give us some of these breakouts here for 2020? Do you have the next Rafael Devers on your list? I separated my breakouts into a number of categories. Uh, the already great could be greater category, the blind faith category, the more conventional breakouts category, the not sure I believe it category, and the <laughs> leap of faith category, which wow. is different than blind faith, um, which I'll explain. 
But if you want, you guys can do all yours and I'll just run through mine later. I don't Yeah, sounds like you planned a whole show here. My goodness. Uh, this will take this will take five minutes. See. Yeah, I mean, Adam, if you want me to leave, you could just kind of step back in here and uh, do what you've always Once done. Once I found out Chris wasn't going to be on the show, I was like, uh-oh. Got a lot of time to put my to cape on. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll throw a few names out there. Look, these are very popular ones and, and pitchers that I have talked a lot about when we did our pitcher preview. Max Fried was my breakout candidate, so I'm going to remind people that, yes, I need to leave every single draft with one of Max Fried, Zach Gallen, or Frankie Montas. I didn't consider Frankie Montas because he kind of broke out already last year. No, I'm not worried about PEDs. He always threw the ball hard. And it was really the introduction of the splitter that helped Frankie Montas. So, yes, I like him. He's ranked inside my top 25. Uh, but Max Freed, they continue to talk up this changeup. And this is something we talked about, Scott, where if that can help him neutralize right-handed batters. They hit 281 against him last year. That is going to be huge for Max Fried's value. The second half last year, he started using his slider more, uh, about 6% more. The K per nine was up over 10 in that second half. His ERA was 3.63. Just would not surprise me if we're talking about Freed as a top five round pick this time next year. And then with Zach Gallen, has four different pitches that he can use, a 177 ERA, 0.71 whip uh, in the PCL last season, where I don't have the stat, but I know Chris has talked about it. I think the average ERA was like near five and Zach Gallon had a sub two ERA. It was so, 548, 548, the average ERA in the PCL last year, which was always a hitter friendly league. And then they introduced the juice ball. Average ERA was 548. Zach Gallon's numbers in the PCL in 14 starts last year, 177 ERA, 0.71 whip, 11K per nine. Yeah. That's How like, do you have that up right now, Scott? I have my breakouts 2.0 column. Oh, okay. Hold up. So, yeah, I mean, I have Zach Gallon as a breakout too, clearly. A lot of people like Gallon. I get it. A lot of people like Freed. Uh, another interesting point, real quick, on Gallon was uh, I actually had the chance to talk to him at my, at my uh, previous job. And he said that being reunited with Carson Kelly is something that is going to help him tremendously. And they were in the Cardinals organization together uh, back when they were both prospects there. Um, so it was Gallon was traded away to the Marlins, Carson Kelly was traded away to the Diamondbacks, and now they're reunited. So that's another little tidbit uh, if you need any more reasons to like Zach Gallon. Um, Scott, Freed, Gallon, I assume you like these guys a lot as well. Yeah, no, they're both in my breakouts column. Um, I'm often having to compete with you for them in drafts, especially Gallon. I actually haven't drafted Freed that much. Uh, I think I just, I, I think my pitching staff is usually pretty full by the time he goes off the board. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I definitely am impressed by him having a better XFIP than both Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty last year. I'm impressed by him having an elite ground ball rate, good swinging strike skills. I don't want to assume too much with the changeup, and I do think he has to figure out a way to neutralize opposite handed hitters. I mean, that was his biggest drawback last year. He did actually finish with a 402 ERA, a 133 whip. I mean, not great numbers. So he needs to take a step forward and he needs spe specifically to neutralize opposite handed hitters. Maybe the changeup is the key to that. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just careful not to assume too much, but I do see Freed as in a similar place to where Shane Bieber was last year. Popular, trendy breakout pick who had problems against opposite-handed hitters in his first full year starting, and clearly Bieber figured it out. So, uh, you know, for the right price, I'm definitely very excited about Freed. I'm just a little reluctant to rely on him too much. Adam, who would you rather have, Gallon or Max Freed? 
I'd rather have Gallon. I, I do look at Max Fried's whip, 133 last year, career 137 whip, and think that might still be an issue for him. Um, but I like them both, but I'd rather have Gallon. Both Gallon and Freed, I, I like getting these guys as my SP4 normally in 12-team leagues. Anything deeper than that, if you're talking a 15-team roto, uh, I don't mind either of those guys as your SP3. Scott, give us another breakout candidate, or a few, however many you want. Just throw a bunch our way. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you a couple higher-end ones that have been more recent for me. Uh, Nick Castellanos, who I now think is going to perform like a second-round hitter this year. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. So you got to move move them inside your top 24, Scott. Come on. It's not the first time I've said it, Adam, but I know you've been away for a while. Um, Oh, I was saying whoa to something else then. I'm totally aware that you've been saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Castellana. So digging deeper into the numbers, and this, I I got some help from self-described StatCast geek Crosby Spencer on on Twitter. Uh, He looked into kind of park effects for different parts of each park, basically. And like American Park was killing Nick Castellanos. It was such an outlier in terms of home runs to center field and home runs to right center field. And Nick Castellano drives the ball that way a lot. And then you look at his numbers after joining the Cubs last year, final two months, he had 321, 16 homers, a 1002 OPS. Uh, it kind of salvaged his season because he was up to such a rough start with the Tigers before that. And you think, okay, he just got hot, uh, you know, regression to the mean or whatever. But like the underlying numbers during that stretch with the Cubs, they really weren't that far fetched for a guy with Castellanos batted ball profile. And then you factor in how bad Tiger uh, Comerica Park is for, for hitters like him and, and, now he's going to Cincinnati, which is one of the smallest bar- ballparks in the majors and even better environment than he was in with the Cubs. And like, it's, it's not, it's not hard to see Castellanos putting up numbers in line with like uh, JD Martinez or Nolan Arenado. I mean, you just project those out with the Cubs, even downgrading them a little. And, and that's what he looks like. And the data seems to support it. So I'm all in. On Castellanos this year, I took him in the seventh round in a draft we did yesterday, a 12-teamer, and uh, didn't think it was a reach. I mean, I, I, you know, he's, he's, he's to the point now where I consider him a, a stud-caliber bet. I have one major issue with this, though, because okay. this comes up all the time. First of all, I completely agree about Castellanos. Even if he doesn't break out and he's just normal Nick Castellanos, this is my favorite thing about him. He's yeah. going at a spot where people aren't even like really drafting him all that much for the upside and for the for the breakout ability. He, you know, now he's going 88th overall. Um, you can tell me uh, where he is on NF- NFBC in the last month or whatever. Um, 76. In July, anyway. 76 but, in July. Like, earlier, it was like 100th overall. Like, even a normal Nick Castellanos is not going to be that far off from that. So it's a really safe pick with a ton of upside. But what bothers me a little bit about the argument Scott just made that I've made before that other people have made is that it only is, is 2019. He actually, the, th- the three previous years, he was better at home than he was on the road in two of those three seasons, just in terms of OPS. So going to a new ballpark is, is a big deal, especially when it's Cincinnati. But I think last year, he, the, the differences were so, so stark. But before that, just his home versus road splits, they were either they were like fairly even and often better at home. So that's why I can't fully buy into that explanation. Mm-hmm. But 
either way, he's great value and someone I'm totally targeting. I'm not exactly sure how to reconcile that either because I did notice. But, I mean, Castellanos himself was complaining about Comerica Park before he got traded. And the actual data, it's so extreme. 71% of the home runs, uh, 71% of the fly balls hit to right center that would go out in the average MLB park. Only 71% go out in Comerica Park. And that is that is a extreme number on its own. Straightaway center, it's 29%. That is unheard of. Wow. Like it's 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 such a stifling environment, particularly for somebody who hits the ball that way. And you do a park overlay of Nick Castellanos, Comerica Park versus uh Cincinnati. It's still Great American Ballpark. I'm yes, just yeah. keep calling it Cincinnati. Um, yeah, you do a park overlay. It's like two dozen more home runs Castellanos would have hit in Cincinnati versus Comerica Park. And granted, he won't be playing every game in Cincinnati. He didn't play every game in Detroit last year. But like that shows how extreme the, the venue shift is uh, for him specifically. I always thought that Castellanos had that Freddie Freeman ability to break out. He hits a lot of line drives. I, I think that you have a 300 batting average, 35 homer pace somewhere in that bat, and perhaps Great American Ballpark is what can finally uh, get it out of there. Adam, it's your time to shine, baby. Hit us with all those different categories, breakouts. Who you got? So I really view this as players that I want to have some shares of because I think they have great greatness potential, potential for greatness. Okay, so first category, already great, could be greater. Glaber Torres and Jack Flaherty. I think Torres could be like a second round pick next year and Flaherty could be like DeGrom Coy. I think he could be, you know, first round pick next year. I definitely want a lot of them. I think they're great. I think they're worthy of being taken where they are. Um, Blind faith category, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., self-explanatory. I do like the fact that he will at some point have first base eligibility. Um, I I wasn't on the podcast when that news came out. That helps a lot. I mean, it's a much thinner position than third base. Um, more conventional breakouts. So these are guys that I think can go from good to great. Uh, I do want some shares of them. Chris Paddock. Uh, I understand he, he probably needs another pitch. I believe in the curveball. I think that it, it's going to eventually be a really good pitcher. And all Chris Paddock's ever done has been, is be great. So I love Paddock. Yoan Moncada started hitting, um, lefties a lot better last year. Rick Renteria said it just, just had more enough at bats. He finally got used to it. Um, you know, they're look crazy high Babbitt. He was lucky last year for sure, but I think Moncada's kind of he's a five tool player that's 25 years old. So there's a chance for him to be a superstar. Jose Barrios, there are enough amazing starts in there. Seven scoreless innings with 12 strikes, those kinds of starts. He does that as well as almost any pitcher in baseball that he needs to get another pitch in his arsenal. But if Barrios does, he can go from being a 370-ish ERA guy to a 310 ERA. Like he could really break out, and you know he's going to give you the innings. Uh, so he's consistent. He's not a risky pick. He's safe to begin with, and I, I still see potential for greatness there for Barrios. Uh, this guy's not so much a breakout because he did it in 2016, but Corey Seager, I think, is capable of being a top-five shortstop like he was in 2016. So that is my more conventional breakouts list. Uh, two more players. The not sure I believe it list is one guy. It's Kyle Schwarber. The reason I think Kyle Schwarber might have his, you know, his best season is he's probably not going to face a lot of lefties. 
because there aren't that many starters in the NL Central there, and there aren't all that many in the AL Central. And the ones, the, the starting pitchers in the AL and NL Central that are lefties, they're not very good for the most part. So they might not keep their rotation spots. So Kosh Schwarber might just be in the lineup more than ever. And that, that in itself will lead to a breakout. And this one, I don't think anyone's going to agree with. The leap of faith, the guy that really wouldn't mind taking a shot on in a deeper league, can't so much justify it in any 12-team league. Ahmed Rosario, he just he has gotten incrementally better. Um, I think he can push his way up to the, toward the top of the order. You know he's going to give you some steals. There's pedigree there. Could be a post-type sleeper or a post-type breakout. <laughs> so that is my full list. Um, yeah, there you go. Ahmed Rosario was the last one. Kyle Schwarber. And then the four conventional ones are Paddock, Moncada, Barrios, and Corey Seager. Yeah, you almost made a boo-boo there, Adam. This is a breakout show, not a sleeper show. Scott, yeah. any so names different. Any names you want to rattle off real quick? Oh, I'm not good at rattling, but I will <laughs> I will do it. Kenta Maeda was the other one I was going to talk about before I got long-winded on Castellanos. Just the fact that doesn't seem like the Twins are in a position to uh, limit his innings the way the Dodgers always did because of some terms in his contract. They don't have the pitching depth they do. And Maeda seems well-equipped to pitch deep into games. He's efficient. He's always been good the third time through the order when he's gotten a chance. I think he becomes a workhorse for the Twins this year. And the numbers, uh, the supporting numbers are very encouraging there. Hmm, you know what? I'm not loving the look at my breakout list overall based on recent <laughs> developments. Garrett Hampson. Garrett Hampson, I'm going to call him a breakout. Thanks in part to the DH spot, of course. And he's so versatile uh, that... They're going to find places for him in the lineup virtually every day. I think one easy route would be uh, Daniel Murphy going to DH, Ryan McMahon going to first base, Hampson at second base. But Hampson can also play the outfield. Final 16 games last year, he hit 343 with five homers and seven steals. That was like the majority of his production for the entire season, but he made a change to his stance, changed his timing mechanism, and uh, finally lived up to the sleeper hype we were all piling on him then. Big steals potential, available very late. You know, I, I think he has the kind of upside to be an early round pick in fantasy if everything goes right, especially in that environment. Uh, Willie Calhoun, I know he's somebody you like, Frank. I mean, I, I think he's basically Mike Moustakis of the outfield. I hope he gets his health situation sorted out because last I heard he was having an MRI on his hip. And uh, I think... I think that's all I want to highlight here. I'm looking at my column and I have guys like Jesus Lazardo, COVID, Miguel Sano, COVID, uh, Kyle Tucker. We just heard Dusty Baker doesn't really give him a chance of winning the starting right field job. Uh, you know, Nick Anderson, I think, has breakout potential, but who knows how the Rays are going to handle their bullpen. Jose Urquidy, COVID. Well, we don't know that he is COVID, but he's on the IO. So, yeah, a lot of my breakout picks are, uh, are 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 being drafted with less confidence now. I give you, you a- steal some of mine if you're really not feeling great about your <laughs> list. Feel free. Uh, I gave you guys a few pitchers, a few outfielders that I want to highlight. Eloy Jimenez, somebody I talk a lot about. Basically, the same ADP as Vlad. He's going, you know, at the end of the fifth round, early sixth round. The the pedigree is there. Wouldn't surprise me if. You get a 35 to 40 home run pace out of him, a great batting average as well. Was known for his hit tool in the minors. Uh, And then a little bit later on, Ian Happ and Alex Verdugo in deeper leagues. 
Hap, I think, has the power-speed combination. Yeah. He cut the strikeouts last year. Uh, career low, it was 25% in the majors. He had an 898 OPS in 58 games with the Cubs last season. He's still just 25 years old, so I have a lot of faith in Ian Hap, more so in Roto as like your fourth or fifth outfielder. Uh, and then Alex Verdugo. He can hit against lefties. He can hit against righties. Tons of line drives. Reminds me of a poor man's Michael Brantley, potentially uh, even becoming Michael Brantley one day. He's still very young, and now he's with the Boston Red Sox with an opportunity to play every single day. So uh, Eloy those, those, on the high end, those, and then Happ and Verdugo lower end. Those are good picks, and and Happ especially is somebody I've been I've found myself drafting a lot more recently. Uh, so another guy I'm going to throw in like that is Colton Wong who I haven't talked about much. And, you know, he goes so late that I tend to think of him more as a sleeper. But, of course, he's been around a while. And um, I think he's another player who kind of subtly benefits from the the introduction of the DH spot because now the Cardinals can stick Matt Carpenter there every day, hopefully keep him healthy. That leaves third base for uh, for Tommy Edmond. And suddenly there's nobody who's there to platoon with Colton Wong anymore. And, you know, maybe he doesn't need to be platooned. He hit 342 in the second half last year. He His batted ball, batted ball profile changed in a pretty dramatic way. He, he kind of, I don't know if he officially lowered his launch angle, but he was hitting fewer fly balls. He looked like a guy who finally realized, oh, I'm not really cut out to hit be a home run hitter in the majors. He stole 24 bases in 28 chances. And... Like I said, hit 342 in the second half, hit 285 overall, but you know, really kick things into gear in the second half. And if he's batting at the top of the Cardinals lineup, if he's a reliable base dealer like he looked like he was last year, I mean, it's a profile that's not too dissimilar from like Whit Merrifield, you know, is are drafting Colton Wong. Uh crap, I don't have his ADP pulled up. Drafting him he's, 214th yes. overall. Versus drafting Whit Merrifield, 47th overall. You're basically getting the same player. I mean, you're getting it. You're getting fewer assurances, yes, but you, you know, the the final outcome might be similar. Yeah, against lefties last year, you mentioned that he was uh, better last season. Hit 288 against lefties, 283 against right-handed pitching. And then in that second half, he did lower the launch angle, started hitting more line drives. Uh, first half, 41% fly ball rate. Second half, 28% fly ball rate. Drop. So he yep. started hitting more line drives and more ground balls, and that's something that benefited Colton Wong in a big way. All right quickly promote a few things you enjoy the show here drop a five-star apple podcast review we really would appreciate it uh, and leave a leave us a question too um we'll be sure to answer that here on the air and just want to remind everyone that your submissions last time i'm going to remind you submissions are due this friday in order to um try and take part in our listener leagues we have two listener leagues set up next monday july 20th at 10 p.m., we will have a 12-team head-to-head points league. And then next Wednesday will be the For the People League, July 22nd at 8 p.m. That draft will be. Uh, so send us an email, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, with a song that you've made, either about the show, about baseball. Get creative with it. Have some fun. Uh, if you don't have the means to make a song, just give us a reason why you think that you should be in one of those leagues. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're answering your questions here on Fantasy Baseball Today.
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. We're back here on Fantasy Baseball today, about to answer your questions. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. We did a head-to-head categories draft last night. I just want to quickly mention a few things that I noticed. Jose Ramirez went 10th overall in this draft. I don't think it's crazy because I think you want difference makers who are going to give you steals for this season. But it's a little weird that he went over Francisco Lindor. Lindor went 15th. 14th overall to you, actually, Scott. And it was maybe because people are worried about his steals dropping if he falls to third in the lineup, if he hits in the middle. But I looked into this, and at leadoff in his career, 162 game pace, 24 steals batting leadoff, while batting third, it's 21 steals over a 162 game pace. So I think if people are worried about that, it might be a little bit overblown. It might be, but the historically... I'm not sure how many, how often when Lindor was batting third, Carlos Santana was batting second, which is also part of the plan. Carlos Santana is very slow and he stops at first base a lot. You know, he goes station to station a lot because he reaches base so often on walks, you know, always among the lead leaders there. So I, I feel like it would have to cut into Lindor Steele's chances, just how often Santana is going to be clogging things up ahead of him, but hopefully not too much. Adam, I know you're a big Jose Ramirez guy. Would you take him over Lindor? It's one of those things where you probably could have gotten both of them if you just knew Jose Ramirez was going to go typically in, in round two, so you never even had to make that decision. But if you're saying I can only have one, no, I would take Lindor. I I'd agree with Lindor. you. A uh, few other things I noticed I'll mention quickly here. Uh, relievers went higher than they normally do. Josh Hader, 45th overall. His ADP is 54. Kirby Yates went 58th. His ADP is 66. Roberto Osuna went 72nd. His ADP is 80. So I think if people want to lock down those elite relievers and saves, then we're starting to see those on the rise a little bit. And then the COVID concerns, Freddie Freeman lasted to the third round. Mike Trout went fifth overall. LeMahieu slipped a little bit to the seventh. Moncada slipped a little bit to the seventh. Um, Sano pretty much the same round 10. And then Lazardo fell to round 12. And that's, he went about 20 spots later than his ADP. So uh, keep that in mind when you have your drafts this upcoming weekend. So, All right. Wh- what's up? When are you taking Trout? I, hmm, in a Roto League, I would take him, I would take him eighth. 
Ooh. I've dropped him down. I've dropped him below. Well, now we got to see what happens with DeGrom. But originally, I had him now below DeGrom and Cole and also Trey Turner. So that's where I have him in, in Roto. And head-to-head points that's- league, I'm still all right with him fifth or sixth in that area. Hmm. Too aggressive? Oh, that's, oh. The, that's the biggest drop I had heard anybody talk about so far. I, I have him about fifth where he went here. Uh, you know, I'm obviously dropping him behind Yelich. Bellinger, Betts, Cole probably in a head-to-head points league, uh, and Acuna obviously in a roto league. So yeah, fifth sounds right for me in both formats. I would I would still take Trout ahead of Trey Turner. You know, it, I, I might still... take him behind Bregman, Alex Bregman in a points league. So that that might be one other player that drops him in that format. If he's going fifth, can I call Mike Trout a sleeper? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the Chris Towers line of thinking. Giancarlo yeah. Stanton is a sleeper. All right, your email is fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one comes from Rosendo. What's so special about Julio Arias? He's on my waivers, and I'm in desperate need for a pitcher. Aren't the Dodgers going to hold him back even without, even with David Price out? Should I use my number one pick on waivers for Julio Arias? What do you think, Scott? I mean, if you're desperate for a pitcher, that, that seems like a layup. I, I think your concerns are well-founded. Uh, he's He's not going to be as stretched out as Kershaw, Wood, and Stripling are going to be in, the Dodgers have a lot of a lot of starting caliber arms that they're trying to work into the mix here. But Julio Urias, at the start of the offseason, nearly a full calendar year ago, there, there was somebody, he was somebody they were already saying they were ready to move him into the rotation. He was announced before Alex Wood was. He was announced before Ross Stripling was. So particularly in a 60-game season where they don't have to preserve his innings over the long haul, I, I think the plan would be to build him up for a full starter's workload. And, um, you know, I, I have him in my breakouts column too. We didn't talk about him. I guess we are now. And he's – it's a long – it's been a long time coming for this guy. He debuted as a 19-year-old. I think he was the first starting pitcher to do that since Felix Hernandez. It's, it's so rare. And he was considered arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball at the time. Obviously got set back by injuries, but – Looked really good in kind of a swingman role last year. I think he's ready to take the next step. It's worth noting that Arias has been much better as a reliever in his career. 35 appearances, a 2-2-1 ERA with a 1-1-3 whip. As a starter, a 3-6-6 ERA with a 1-3-5 whip. Um, Adam, in a points league, I don't know how many innings we're going to get out of Arias. I mean, even as a SPARP, is he better as a roto pitcher than in head-to-head points? He might be, but I, I just don't understand. We have this conversation every day about guys getting stretched out and this and that. There aren't enough pitchers to go around that are going to be like stretched out, ready to go, pitching deep into games. You're going to have some guys on your roster, I would imagine, unless you seriously heavily invest in pitchers early. And so the season's not two weeks long. It's not three weeks long. You, you know, Arias is a special talent. He is nasty. He's got a 318 career ERA, and as Scott mentioned, he's super young. Um, so I, he might, yeah, okay, I could buy that. He's better in in um, in Roto, especially if he can get the walks down a little bit and get that whip down. But I, I still think you know he's worth picking up off waivers if he's available. And mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, definitely, look, yeah, yeah, pick him up. I just, I, I, I don't know. You're gonna, you aren't gonna run in for a lot of fantasy managers. Aren't gonna run into that problem of having someone in their rotation who's not stretched out and is not going quality start, not going six innings for his first two starts. It, it does seem like more the exception than the rule players 
whose workload will be limited early on. And I thought we, I, I think we thought it would be the other way around. But yeah, I mean, not everybody's going to go be ready to go the distance right away. This next one's from Matt. Hey, Alexander, Aaron, and Thomas. Sounds like Hamilton characters. Oh, I mean, founding fathers. But <laughs> is Aaron Burr a founding father? Uh, yeah. I don't. I really don't know much about him other than you know, what, he did, what he did. I mean, he was around. I don't know much about him either. He was a vice president and uh, killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. But... Oh, thanks, Scott. Wow. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Have to see Hamilton. Wow. Oh my gosh. On part of my take, Trevor Bauer said he spent the extra three months getting stronger and working on his command. He also mentioned he added one to two miles per hour to his fastball. Due to this. Would it have any effect on your ranking? I mean, I'll just start off. Like, I am the Trevor Bauer hater on the show, but I will say, if he's throwing one to two miles per hour harder, that is something that is going to, that should help him. Um, but you really won't know until the season starts. So that's oh, my yeah. take on it's Bauer. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal, I think. Um, especially if it's two miles per hour. Uh, yeah, it would, it would help him a lot. He could go. He could go either way, but... He could be a guy that's like, all right, short season, 60 games. I'm just going to throw as hard as I can. He probably does already, actually. <laughs> uh, Especially when he's launching the ball into the batter's eye in Kansas City. I, I would be interested in hearing this from a different source. Trevor Bauer says a lot of things. It, right? Yeah, like true. I believe Trevor Bauer less than... Uh, talking about Trevor Bauer, I believe Bauer less than like other people talking about <laughs> It's like, what if I, I came on the show and said, uh, hey guys, last week I threw 100 miles per hour. Would you believe me? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> He's the ultimate wild card. Look, it wouldn't surprise me if he performs like a second round pick. We've seen him do it before. It wouldn't surprise me if he's on the waiver wire come the mid-August. It just... Trevor Bauer could go either way for me. There is no way he will be on the waiver wire in three weeks. That would be a surprise. You'll see. You'll see, yeah, Adam. Yeah, that, that, I, I don't see that happening either. This one comes from Chris. I'm the commissioner in a 16-team keeper league that's been going for almost 20 years. Two teams do not want to play this season regardless of rule changes. What do we do? Just lock their keepers and play down two teams but have their players off limits? If we take that route, it poses another issue of next year's draft. We do a straight draft based on last year's record. If they don't play, where do we put them? Look, if they don't play, you put them, they get last pick if they want to come back next year. That's uh, easy for yeah, me. Yeah, this is, this is strange. I've, I haven't even considered this possibility. Teams like fantasy participants wanting to just opt out for this season. Like... It's 2020, you know, Scott. Anything can it's happen. Common people dropping out of leagues permanently, but they're they're not willing to forfeit their spot in the league. They just don't want to play this year. That's uh, I would I would do exactly what is mentioned here. I would lock their lock their keepers, play their play down two teams, and yes, I would not put their players back into the player pool. I would lock their I would basically lock their rosters from everybody else. Um. And just play a 14-team league without a bunch of players, which is weird. But this is a 20-year league, so you don't want to have a situation where they're not back next year. They have to be back next year. Um, so, yeah, it's a very unconventional, but it's what I'd do. Do you automatically give them those two teams 15th and 16th pick next year, Adam? You know, I, I think you could, but another thing you can do is let everybody pick their, pick their, um, their draft order and have them get the last pick. 
like the last preference because some people like picking 15th and 16th, you know? Yeah. Um, but they should have, they should have like the worst draft order draft spot. If that exists. This next one's from Tom. You guys talked a lot about NL pitchers being downgraded because of the DH. Is there a chance it could help some pitchers because they won't be pulled for a pinch hitter in close games? Something I hadn't really thought about, Scott, but I guess it's feasible. Eh. Yeah, (laughs) that will happen sometimes. I can't sit here and tell you today which pitchers will be more affected by that than others. It's it's hard to quantify. Yeah, yeah. And I think the... The obvious losses in percentages that come from facing an extra hitter every time through the lineup certainly outweigh that. Yeah. This next one's from Steve. Hi, Walter, Ty, Christy, Honus, and Babe. I don't know that we've ever had five people on. Yeah, the best, the, the best of the best, basically. But I guess we can include Heath Cummings in one of these. 12-team keeper roto auction draft, $260 budget. Keeper salary increases basically 20% every year. My keepers with next year's 2020 salary are Fernando Tatis for $6, Pete Alonso for $8, Cody Bellinger for $8, Kyle Tucker for $6, Kirby Yates for $6, Aaron Nola for $12, Chris Paddock for $8, and Justin Verlander for $33. My question is, should I keep Mackenzie Gore for $3 over Mitch Garver for $3? Garver gives me an advantage at catcher, but I won't keep Verlander after this season, and it would be nice to have a cheap young pitcher, a potential ace, in Gore. I just don't know how much Gore will help this year, and I want to play to win. But should I neglect next season? But I don't want to neglect next season uh, since this one is so short. What should I do? What do you think, Scott? Would you rather have Gore for three bucks or Garver for three bucks? I know what Scott's going to say. Oh, you do, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you do? I'm yeah, not, I, I, all right. Answer for me because I'm, I'm Scott's gonna say Garver and then I'm gonna say Gore. Scott's struggling a little bit. I don't know if it's a slam dunk for him. I, I assume that you're limited to eight keepers because I'm, I'm, you know, I, this question raises a lot of other questions for me. Like, why wouldn't you keep Verlander for $33 next year? He well, says I guess if it increases Verlander, if it increases 20%, then well, he was showing next year's salaries, I thought. But even if he wasn't, I mean, Verlander's going for, you know, in a, in a league where people have a bunch of cheap keepers like this, Verlander's right. going to go over $50, I'm sure. Yeah. Next year. And, and next year, he would probably be a $39 or $40 keeper based on the 20% increase. So you probably still would keep him. Right. But, you know, I guess he's limited to eight keepers. And so he's thinking, I, I'm, I actually think I might go gore here. Because, I mean, Garver's already, I think he's already 30. Like, he's not, or 29 or something like that. He's not a young guy and obviously not a very proven guy. And who knows if he's going to be a long-term option for me. Like, you could just buy him back if you want a catcher that bad. Like, Garver don't, is don't need 29 years old. need locked in at a really old. low price the way you want Gore locked in at a low price. So you're taking Gore. Adam, you're taking Gore as well. Yeah, and apparently I don't know Scott as well as I thought I did. <laughs> I know. I mean, you're off the show for a couple of weeks, and this guy just completely changes on you, Adam. (laughs) This next one's from Ryan. My league is having unlimited IL spots this year. We have a verbal clause that you cannot add a player and put him in an IL spot. Thoughts? You guys watch South Park? Duh. 
Dum 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 dum. That's how I feel about this. <laughs> well, I mean, I th- I think that rule makes sense though, because I mean, if someone just gets hurt, you could just pick them up and throw them on the IL. Oh right yeah, away. you know what? Unlimited IL spots. Oh, who's the dum 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 now? No, it's me. It's me. <laughs> okay, I'm dum 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 dum. I w- I wasn't. I wasn't really. Cons- un- I wouldn't do it that way. I would. I would have a limit, or maybe like unlimited COVID, but uh, two or three non-COVID or something. But okay, fair enough. I I agree. If you have unlimited IL spots, you shouldn't. No, because here's the problem. You've got to you've got to have some capacity to pick up IL players. Like I think I think you have to separate it COVID versus non-COVID if you're going to do this. What if you you're still allowed to pick up? IL players, but you can't place them on the IL. Like they just have to be on your regular bench. Uh, I guess. And we and we're not going to know everybody who's uh, placed on the IL for COVID too. So that's here's the big. Well, you'll know. You'll know without knowing, I think. But here's <laughs> no? the big. The big issue. Uh, maybe not, Scott. The big issue is this: What happens when that player comes off the IL? Like then it's just a free for all, or you know, to get the guy. Like he's sitting on the. He's sitting on waivers. You can't stash them. Nobody can pick them up. Right. Well, it's pre- presumably nobody wanted it. Like, who, you, you're imagining somebody so high end just sitting out there that that it's going to be a race to pick them up. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure why that would be the case. No, like if he was, not necessarily. But like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's. A, I don't know. Maybe, I have no idea. I'm an I, idiot. Look, I'm just going to stop. And, talking. and Tal Wars, we have unlimited IL spots. I, I never even conceived it before but that's just the standard in tout wars and i've played in it three years now and it hasn't it hasn't really changed things for me except when my players get hurt i don't have to worry about dropping them you know so i I really don't think it's a big deal look i think in most leagues this year we we spoke about this how many il spots you should have i think three to five is probably that magic number but if you do play with unlimited il spots you should not be able to just pick up an il player who's on the IL, and they go right into one of those unlimited spots. If you want to pick up a player who's on the IL, they should count as one of your actual bench spots. They shouldn't be allowed to be added right to one of those IL spots. All right, that'll do it. That's it. Breakouts in the books. We got sleepers and breakouts already done tomorrow. We will be talking about busts here on the show. For Scott and Adam, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.